Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. What is it with asking people to church? It's this really awkward situation. It seems like every time I get into a conversation with someone about inviting people to church, they're like, ah. And it seems to me like this exact image is going through people's minds. You know, it's, it's almost equivalent to, you know, asking someone out on a date or whatnot. And, and not that they even need to go out with you. You just want to invite them to church so that they can experience God and his presence and what he is doing in their life. And yet, it is awkward, or sometimes it feels that way. No? I mean, I'd have to say yes, because for whatever reason, it's, it's, you know, by the way, it's summertime, if you haven't noticed, it's beautiful outside, and uh, summertime church attendance tends to drop a little, because there's a lot going on, I suppose, but it's also indicative of, we love to invite people to lots of things in our life, but inviting them to church, I don't know, and so this this series that we're going to start today is a new series, and it is called Just Ask. Just Ask. Why is it so hard to ask? Are we scared of rejection? The response we're going to get? Embarrassed to have a conversation about church or Jesus? Maybe it's just a nuisance. Like you got enough going on, you don't want to start another conversation about something like church or religion. It's just in your way. You're you're so busy and and you really don't have the time for it. Or or is it we're just lazy? You know, there's also an element. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, the dynamic, right? You don't want to ask somebody, you know, you have a friendship, a relationship with somebody, and it's kind of going on its path. Uh, maybe they're your neighbor, maybe they're a coworker, whomever. You ask them about church, and all of a sudden you change the dynamic. The whole relationship seems to change almost with that question. And isn't, isn't that the point? To change the dynamics in our relationships, to create relationships that, that allow us to grow in, in the presence of the Lord, isn't it? I don't know. I'm just, I'm asking you, I'm getting you to think for a second. What about, maybe it's this, this dependency. You know, maybe men have this, maybe more than women, I don't know. But some men don't want to ask anybody for anything because, because we can do everything ourselves. You know, well, one thing you can't do is you can't fill up a church by yourself. You must ask. Now, before you get worried and before you wonder if I'm going to hit you with four weeks of sermons about inviting people to church and different ways to do that, you can relax. This sermon series is actually not about inviting people to church every week. I wanted to bring it up here, and at the end of this series, we're going to bring it up again to remind you. But in fact, this series is simply about asking, just asking, the process of using your communication skills to ask for something, for anything. Most specifically, asking God. So before I go on, I have to give credit where credit is due. 
I have, I don't know, six sermon series I'm working on, and, you know, I wait till the Lord prompts me to go one direction or another, and, you know, and there's all sorts of life events that take place that tend to guide me one way or another. Sometimes we do deep teaching, and sometimes we do drama, and sometimes it's, as Chris says, it's hard-hitting, meaning like it's a uncomfortable situation, or sometimes really uplifting and encouraging. So we have all sorts of sermon series as we do, and this particular one, I have to admit, this one is my wife's idea. This is actually my wife's sermon. It's her whole sermon, a whole series she's put together, and I get to preach it. So we've been working together on this one, and I'm excited. So if you love it, tell her how awesome it is, and if you don't like it, tell me I just didn't do a good enough job delivering it. Amen. Amen. So take all of these same thoughts about asking someone to church and now apply them to when you ask God for something. Why is it that it's sometimes hard to ask God for something? Are we scared of the response we're going to get? Rejection from God? Embarrassment of the question we're asking not being holy enough or spiritual enough? We're too busy, too lazy? Or maybe the question is going to change the dynamic between you and God. So, the first installment of this series is called Request Granted. Wouldn't this be amazing if you knew that everything you ask from God as a request, it would be granted? Wouldn't it be amazing if I could preach a sermon and say, this is how you get every single one of your prayers answered, request granted? Well, actually, the scripture doesn't quite say it like this. They actually rearrange it like this. And the word says, and God granted your request. We're going to talk about this in a moment. Uh, but I, I want to make sure we're clear as we get into this message. When I look at it on the screen like this, and God granted your request, especially when you use the word granted, it's almost like, well, we talk about wishes here. I mean, wishes are something that's granted, right? I don't know. Uh, Aladdin just got released recently, and you know, it's Will Smith, and you rub the, what is it? You rub the lantern, right? And what is it, a genie? And he says, you know, your wishes are my command. Let me grant you three wishes. Oh, look, there's a difference between wishes and grants, I mean, wishes and requests. Wishes are whimsical and, at least in Aladdin, they're not really evaluated. Whatever you ask is free game. You can wish anything. You could wish for unicorns. You could wish for rainbows and unicorns together. You can wish for unicorns with wings and rainbows. It's all possible with a wish. They're not evaluated for realism. They're not evaluated for its feasibility. A request, on the other hand, a request well, they're very much evaluated. I'm sure you've done requests before of the government, of landlords, of your employer, of your children, and they go through an evaluation process, and it is no different with God. So I want to say that from the get-go. A request that is made to God is evaluated on a number of things we'll get to, but God is in the business of granting your request. I mean, it's all throughout Scripture. I got way more than I could possibly cover today. But I want to remind you that God is good all the time and all the time. So some may say to me, wait a minute, Pastor Sean, are you one of those churches that thinks you can pray whatever you want, God's going to give you whatever you want? Like right here, God granted your request. That's not actually in the Bible, is it, Pastor Sean? Before, before I 
share any more Bible scriptures. Why do you think we believe that? I just want to, I want to unpack that for a second. I want you to dig down into the recesses of your psychology and say, when you look at a verse like this, what is it inside of you that's skeptical when a pastor says God can grant your request? Is it maybe you don't think you're good enough? Is it maybe God's not good enough? Is it maybe that there's doctrines going around that are false, that, that God just grants every wish at your command without evaluation and you live this happy-go-lucky life and you know that's not true, so God couldn't possibly grant every request. Which means if I ask him something, it's a 50-50 shot if he's going to. And you know, if I wasn't good that week, we're, it's like a 20% shot. So I might as well not even ask. Now, is this, this conversation familiar to anyone? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Let's show you some scriptures. What about the scripture I showed you last week? Not last week, Pastor Bill preached last week. The week before, at the end of our VBS series. How about this one? Whatever is good and perfect in your life is a gift from God, a gift from above, a gift from our Father. Do you have good and perfect things in your life today? Yes. Yes, you do. Where did those things come from? The good things in your life today. If they are good, what does the Bible say? Look in your life. Find things that are good. If they are good, where did they come from? They come from God. So God is capable of giving you good things. And last time I checked, a lot of you have a lot of good things in your life. Where did they come from? God. In other words, we serve a God that is So let's just set the premise there. He is good. Now, we look at our situations, we look at our circumstances, and we say, whoop, they're not good. That, 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 I don't want to live that life. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to have to do that. What am I going to do about that? Those things are not good. And so we get hung up in our own life focused on our little world, forgetting how good God is and how big he is. Amen. See, I think that there is a, psychological stumbling block going on in churches today. Maybe a, a theological trick from the enemy. And it starts with, how do you view God today? How do you see him? What is your training, your, your learnings, your experience, your culture? What has it taught you about God how do you view him? How do you think of him? Do you think of him as a good God that loves you and he's graceful and he's merciful and he's a father? Now, when we're in church like this, you're like, amen. Yes, amen. Let me be more aware of his presence. Amen. Let me experience the fullness of his goodness. Amen. Yes, yes, that's the God I was, really because a lot of times, that's the God you see when you come in here, when we're singing, when we're happy, when we're dressed up, we're showered, we smell good, no one's bleeding, hurting. In the high. It's good in here. It's cool. It's comfortable. We walk out them doors. I don't know. God takes on all sorts of shapes and sizes, right? Perhaps God turns into, well, you know, you know, I was raised, you know, in America, and I went to good schools, and my mom and dad are nice, and life is good, and my friends, they're great, but sometimes they don't like me, and sometimes I need a little more attention, and that's God's job to give me attention, and he should be coddling me, and he does coddle me, and if he doesn't, if he just makes life so easy so I don't have any struggles, and pay, that would be great, that's wonderful, that's the God I serve. 
Or the other end of the spectrum, which is a little more traditional, probably a little more familiar to our older generation, a God that is all-knowing and he's all-powerful, and those two things generally don't add up to something good. He's all-knowing, so he knows everything I did, everything I said, everything I meant, everything I meant to say, everything I meant to do. He knows my intentions, and since he's all-powerful, he's a punishing God. And when he knows when I think those things, and I do those things, and he knows that I know I should be doing something better, he's going to smite me. And some of us, deep down inside, we have this view of God. If we just do enough bad things, especially for Christians, he's going to drop the lightning bolt. Now, this is an actual, like, fire bolt from heaven well, that's what it looks like. I'm sure with fire mechanics, this is probably starting from the ground up. But it looks like it's coming from the, the heavens, right? This is God smiting people. Or some may say. See, this is a trick. A trick for the enemy, from the enemy. As soon as you give your heart to God, as soon as you ask him to come into your life, as soon as you begin to understand God's grace, and God's power, and God's love, as soon as those things happen in your life, your life begins to take a new course, a course that is powerful, a course that can reign over the universe, a course that can change society. And Satan hates that. The enemy doesn't want that. So the enemy wraps you up in all sorts of confusion and controversy. Take any blessing of God and there is a known theological and psychological controversy around it. Healing. It's one we believe in. We ask for healing all the time here at the altar. I've told you on that square right there, we've had three people from stage three or four cancer healed. Amen. We've seen healings across this altar many, many times at Kingsway since I've been a pastor and since I was here sitting in the pews. My own son was healed right here. And yet... There's all sorts of controversy around this God. Heal today. Can he heal? Should he heal? Does he heal? Take anyone. Just blessings in general. Does God bless today? Is he in the business of blessing? Should he be blessing? Does God just sit back and just watch the world go? Satan provides all of these stories, all of these preconceptions in your mind that, that God is really not as good as we think he is. And of course, then there's sin, and we talk about sin in church, and a few weeks ago, we talked about sin and the rocks and the burden that is, and Satan wants you to think that sin has made you so dirty, it's impossible for you to ever ask anything good from God. So we don't. Or if we do, we minimize those asks to something really reasonable, something really tangible. Like God, you know, I just want to be able to feel you today. Yep, that worked. God, will you bless this food to my body? Yeah, I feel good. Thank you. You see the rut that we can get in so easily? That's not what God intended. And so we start this series. For those of you who've been in Miss Kamala's prayer class, thank you so much, Miss Kamala, for being so dedicated over the months of time pouring into that curriculum and pouring into this conversation on prayer. Thank you. 
Miss Camilla has a passion for unleashing power and prayer in your life, individually and corporately. And if you sat in her class, you had a dose of that. Because her and I and many of the leaders here believe in the power of prayer and the way the church today in America is going, it is being diminished and diluted and not set on fire. And so we teach classes and sermon series like this to get a hold of what God is doing. Amen? Okay, now I'm ready to go. Now I'm warmed up. Now we can get in this message. All right, let's, let's get into the key verse or the key comment of the key verse today, which is, if you know how to give good gifts to your children... I found that image on Google. It was a cute kid. I know his hair is perfect. My kid's hair never looks like that. His clothes look brand new. My kid's clothes never look like that. The bow is perfect. You know how it goes. The picture's wonderful. But it does exude an emotion, right? This little kid has a good gift because somebody gave it to him, probably his mom and dad, because mom and dads know how to give good gifts to their children and their kids feel nice and warm when we do. You can remember yourself being a kid. You could probably go back to when you were a little tyke. And you got something cool for your birthday or for Christmas. I don't know what it is about being a parent, right? Um, I go away um, and travel throughout the week to, to see various clients for employment. And there, are, most of those times when I go away, I am magnetized, attracted to the stupid gift shops to get something that I know we don't need or want for my youngest, Griffin, so that he knows I was thinking about him when I was gone on the trip. And before it was bigger things. Now it just could be candy or something small. And, um, and not that he expects it, but it makes me feel good to remind him that I'm thinking of him. Right? So we give good gifts to our children. You know how that goes, right? Okay. So if we are capable of doing it, and we are human, and we are sinners... And we are contaminated. If we are capable of doing that, how much more is God? He is our Father. I need to pause here. It just came to me before I go any farther. Maybe there are some of you who that very point sends chills through your psyche. God is our Father. And you see, my father, my earthly father, I, I, I saw him make many sacrifices for my life. For things that I needed, like education or clothing or, or you know, my computer hobby or, or things that I wanted, like a lacrosse stick or a video game. I saw the sacrifices he would go through to provide those things for me. And it created an image of, of what a dad and what a father is. And, and when I project that earthly image onto my heavenly father, I can't imagine how my heavenly father reacts with the things that go through my mind and my body. My projection of God the father is based somewhat on, on my interaction with my earthly father. And maybe some of you don't have those interactions to lean on or they're not so good. That's okay. God is in the business of redeeming and restoring. He can use what Satan meant for evil for your good. But men who are listening to me, that should be a good lesson. It's like a sermon in a sermon. If you're a dad today, everything you do, everything you say, every interaction with your children is shaping the image of God in their life. No worries. You got it under control. All right, so 
God gives good gifts to us in the same way that we want to give good gifts to our children. And so when I go back to this verse now, and God granted him his request. This is actually in Scripture. See, God is good. He is not out to get you. You need to reorient your opinion of God today. He wants to grant your request. You say, well, I can ask for anything? Anything at all? What about selfish things? Like I have, like my list of asks today in my life, I won't say them out loud, but what's going on in my head right now, the thing I want on Amazon, the thing I want on Facebook market, what I have to do when I go home, the show I want to watch, the thing I want to go to, et cetera, et cetera. Like all these things, I'm pretty selfish. And so I can't ask, I'm not going to ask God for those things, right? I'll just ask him for like peace on earth and the missionary that fairy elf. I'll save those requests for God, but all the selfish ones, because God's not in the business of, Responding to selfishness. No. Let's take a look. So you can turn in your Bibles if you want, but this, Chronicles is hard to find. It's like in the Old Testament. It's kind of stuck in there between all the big books. First Chronicles 4.10. There's an interesting, interesting, interesting thing that happens in this book, Chronicles 4. It's one of those books where you have like tons and tons of names and everyone skips it. You know those, right? So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. And there's only so many names to go around. So they keep repeating a lot of the same names because this guy got that guy's name and so forth. And there's tons of this. Chronicles 4 is no different. And they're talking about the line of Judah, which there are many. Jesus came from the line of Judah. There's so many in there, right? And in there, they mention this one guy's name. They mention his name. His name is Jabez. You ever heard that name before? There's something at the Christian bookstores I've passed like a thousand times called the Prayer of Jabez. Do any of you know what the prayer of Jabez is, if I asked you right now? We got one here. I didn't. I've seen it. I knew it was a thing. I really didn't know what it was about. And the name Jabez sounds too much like Jezebel to me, so I just moved right along, right? So as I was reading this again, and the Lord brought me to this, you go and look at Jabez. Jabez means pain and suffering. Could you imagine naming your kid pain and suffering? There was a man named Jabez. So it's going through all these names of begats. And in the middle of all these names of begats, the author stops and says, oh, there's somebody else I want to tell you about. Just a man. I'm not going to tell you his dad or mom. It's just a man. And his name is Jabez. And here's the one thing you need to know about his mother. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. I don't know what that means psychologically, emotionally, physically. But there was a lot of pain involved. And so she named him Pain to remind herself. And he was the one who prayed the prayer, the prayer of Jabez. Let's take a look at it. It says, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory, Lord. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. Just let this settle in for a second. Oh, by the way, this is it. No more mention of Jabez in the Bible. Right here. So in the list of all these names, the list of all the stuff that you skip over, the, oh, God says, wait, 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 wait. One name I want you to hear about. Jabez, pain and suffering. He prayed this prayer. Is that a super spiritual saved world prayer? Or is that a prayer from somebody who by his own name knew that the world destined him 
for pain and suffering, and yet he wanted something more. And who did he go to for something more, for something about himself, for something you could probably claim as a selfish prayer? If you come and pray, ask me, can you pray this prayer for me? You'd say, ooh, that's pretty selfish. He says, bless me, Lord. Forget the world. Bless me. And by the way, when you're doing it, expand my territory. I want my business to be bigger. I want my estates to be bigger. I want more, Lord. And while you're doing it, please be with me. Stay with me. I know you're a busy God, but be with me, Lord. It says, and keep me from all trouble and pain. Now, this is the New Living Translation. I like it. It's my story Bible. So in the actual Aramaic here, it didn't say trouble and pain because we know, we know that God is not going to keep you from trouble and struggle and strife. That's part of it. The original Greek says evil. Keep me from evil. This is a request. Guess what God says? And God granted him his request. No drama, no fanfare, no rebuke. Just let that settle in for a second. No, hey, Jabez, if you do this and you do it just right, I'll think about it. Or Jabez, you really were not so good of a Christian yesterday. You weren't so godly today. A couple nights ago, I knew what you were thinking. We need to clean that up. It's not what it says. All throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Noah, Job, go over and over and over. You have all these heroes, Joshua. They're heroes, and we, we appreciate them for all the things that they did. Most of the things they did, we admire because we wonder if we could do them ourselves. We can't. I, I'm not going to walk into the Jordan and watch it split. That's sci-fi movie stuff. So we admire these leaders. But this guy, Jabez, no, 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 no. He is not honored for some heroic act, some admirable activity that he pulled off. He is named in the Bible because he said a prayer. That was his heroic act, a prayer. And God, with no drama, granted it. This is so important to me because when I talk to people about God, we have this problem between the Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament, he wipes out 300 people. He wipes out 5,000. He wipes out this. He, he smites uh, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, he does all these things and we call God of the judgment in the Old Testament, God of the law. And there's some truth and then we look at the New Testament and say, well, he's this loving God and caring God and graceful God and merciful God. And we need to square these two. Well, that's pretty easy. His name is Jesus. But as we're looking at those two things, I want to tell you, this is the Old Testament. This is God being loving, gracious, and merciful as he always is. The God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. The verse for this series is right here in Matthew 7, 7. Open up your Bible to Matthew 7, 7. Highlight it. There's a couple more words in there. You can highlight the whole thing. But today, I just want to finish talking about Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. I'm going to say it out loud. Ask, and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks, this is the easiest part of Christianity. In fact, it's how you got here. One day you asked God to come into your life. 
That may have been very difficult, what led you up to that point. The decision to do the asking may have been difficult, but the, the activity of moving your lips and asking God into your heart, that part was not difficult. We use our words all the time. It's the easiest part of Christianity. And you know what? It's free. You don't need a sermon. You don't need a pastor. You don't need oil. You don't need a Bible. You don't need a worship music. You just ask. Now, why is this? God knows everything. Why would he ask us to ask? Just read our minds. Read our heart. You know, Lord. You know every desire, right? Amen, amen, amen. Why ask? Why is God asking us to ask? That was the first thought that went through my mind. The series about just asking. I'm encouraging you to ask. So why? There are lots of reasons, I suppose, but just to get to the basics here, I, I, think, I think God wants to communicate with you. I think he wants you to actually communicate with him. I don't think he wants to read your heart and mind. I think he wants to talk to you and walk with you. That was the whole point of the Garden of Eden. We messed that up. And now we got this cosmic thing where we don't have to talk to him and he just loves us. Yeah, that's true, but he actually wants to walk with you and talk with you. Try it sometime. Even if it's five seconds a day, five seconds set aside to talk to God. And it's okay to ask him for something because God wants you to be dependent on him. It doesn't matter what you got going on. Your work day, you have to go this, you have to do that, you have to do that. I don't need God. I can go do that. I can go do this. I can go do that. I'm not going to ask God for any of that. I can do it. I don't need any help. That's my point. That's what we do. We arrange our lives so we don't need God's help until we do, and then we freak out. But if you start from the beginning every day, whatever it is, I'm getting on a plane. Lord, just help me get through this security line. Lord, help me be nice to these people. Lord, help me find a place to eat lunch. Lord, I just pray that I can get from point A to point B safely, constantly, constantly asking God for things and allow him to do it. And when he does, thank him for it because he's not this God. He's not sitting up there waiting just to smite you. We need to create better opinion of him. God blesses you not because you are good, Jeremy. You're a good guy. But that's not why he blesses you. He blesses you because he is good all the time. And all the time, he is good. Do you see why we say this? See, I got I to point this out real quick. And Chris has done a great job in his sermons. He does a wonderful job of this. You see, the Old Testament has this concept of law. And so when you obey the law, you get these promises and blessings. It's called favor. It's, it's merited favor. You do this, you get that. And you know about this. We're parents. I give my kids stars if they do their chores, etc. It's called merited favor. That's what happens. And, and what we learned in the New Testament is with Jesus Christ, he came to fulfill the law to give us undeserved favor. Grace. He just wants to bless you because you're his son. Even when you aren't perfect, he wants to bless you because you're his son, not because you followed the law to the T. If that was the case, it would be by your own works. But he wants to bless you. This is not a license to go do whatever you want. You'll see in a second. But what I'm telling you is you, you need and we need to start incorporating God into our daily lives and asking him and watching him grant our requests. He is not a judge. He is a father. That is what he wanted to show by sending Jesus Christ down to earth. 
He's a father and he values family. So in Matthew chapter 7, going right back, it says these words, you parents, we have any parents in here? Tons of them. You parents, if you have children and they ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a steak? Of course not. Kids see us as providers. They see us as protectors. They don't see us, their parents, as smiters. We're not always going around punishing them. And if you are, maybe you should consider blessing your children once in a while. Because the next part of it says, so if you, are, you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Let that settle in for a second. We want our children to appreciate their dependency on us. We want them to spend time with us. We want them to spend so much time with us that they mature and they feel loved and they stop asking for candy and toys that they're going to throw away tomorrow and they start, because of their time with us, asking for better gifts, asking for things like books or knowledge, asking for advice or asking for our time, things that we really honestly want to give them, no different than the Father God we serve. I think, church, that we need to open our minds to so much more is possible. When the astronauts finally made it into outer space, they say the first time they looked back onto the earth, they had a whole new perspective that wasn't given by anything but that image itself of looking back to earth and experiencing the fact that there is so much more that we do not see. You have that ability today. Your life does not need to be stuck. If you feel like you're in a rut today, it doesn't need to stay that way. There is more possible. Why limit yourself to the life you're living today? The Bible says all things are possible. Elsewhere, it says nothing is impossible with God. You get the image? There's so much more possible. Why don't we experience it and receive it? The Bible says because we don't ask. Jeremiah 3.33. I totally forgot this verse was in there. It says something like, call to me, God, and, and, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah 33.3. Another one you should probably highlight. I got it in my Bible here. I'll read it again out of New Living Translation. Jeremiah 33.3. Ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets that you do not know about things to come. There is so much more possible in this church, in our ministries, in your life, you need to try asking. Ask, and you shall receive, Matthew 7, 7. It's not just Matthew 7, 7. You ought to turn to Matthew 21, 22. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. What do you want today? What are you pursuing today? Why are you excluding God from that pursuit? Because you feel it's selfish? Because you feel it's not good? Look, if it's something that's in your heart and you have a desire to do, God probably put it there. You just don't understand the reason yet. Ask him. Let him join in the process and watch what happens. Wait a minute. There's more. I don't know. Let's just flip to another book of the Bible. How about Luke 12, 32? Don't be afraid, little flock, 
For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. What do you need today? And why are you trying to arrange your life to get it? Have you asked God? He is as desperate as you are for you to be fulfilled and protected and provided for. He wants to give you, quote, the kingdom. It's not okay to settle. Again, Pastor Sean, are you talking about greed and materialism? No. I'm talking about reality. The things that go through our minds every day that we shape our entire lives around. And we've excluded God. Let's look one more. Mark 11.24. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you'll receive it, it will be yours. I didn't make this stuff up. I mean, there's like 50 of these verses in the Bible here. Why don't we have them in our theology? Why don't we act like this every day? Why don't we repeat one of these giving, receiving verses every day when we get up? If you're dating, why aren't you praying about who you should be with, who you should marry, who, where you should spend time, where you should find the person, instead of trying to figure it all out on your own with websites or apps? Or job change, because it's more money, because it's better responsibility, because it's a resume or CV booster, or it's good mentorship opportunity, or whatever. What does God think? Have you asked him? What, what do you want from your job? Have you asked God what you want? Your home purchase, where you're going. Ask God. You'd be surprised. I have so many stories about purchasing homes and how God intervened and changed it. I can't imagine going through that process without him. And it doesn't have to be these big things. What about the daily tasks? Just your every day, getting up and going to work and eating and meeting friends and, you know, what to do tonight. Okay, I cannot end this sermon. I cannot end it without just showing you what Scripture has two contingencies. I'll go really fast. i got to show you. Including God in your everyday life and asking him for everything so he can grant your request, expand your territory, and bless you is scriptural. We should be doing it every day. There are two problems. Problem number one, sin. Mark eleven twenty five. it's the following of that other verse. It says this. It says, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone that you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your sins. That's one of many. If you have sin in your life and you go to God asking for stuff, he's going to say, whoa, get your house in order, son. It's one reason why we stopped asking God for things. Because we don't want to get our house in order. Have you prayed, hey, God, help me get my house in order? Because he'll do it. He'll rearrange your whole life to get, he'll move your house to get it in order. If you go back to that story of Jabez, the one little part I left out, said Jabez was the most honorable man around of all of his brothers, of all of his people. He figured this part out. The sin was clear. If the sin is out of your life, why aren't you using the power that God has given you? Condition number two, desire. This one's tricky. Real quick. James 4, 3, I love it. It basically says, let me show it to you. If you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for King James, you know this one. You have not because you, you have not because, so if you don't have the desire to ask God, you ain't going to get it from God. This is not about being greedy, about being unsatisfied with your life and therefore you, let me make it very simple. If you 
need something material in your life to be satisfied, God ain't going to give it to you because he's the one who's going to satisfy you. And so we don't ask God for those things. We just go about it on our own, and we forget to ask God for the things that will satisfy us. And we don't have those things because we haven't asked God to satisfy us. And it goes on. It says, now you're to the point where you have the desire to ask God. You have the desire to ask him, but you have one more problem. You have a different desire. Even when you ask, you don't get it. Again, I don't make this up. Because your motives are all all wrong, King James, all amiss. You want what will only give you sin, pleasure. If these two things are wrapped up in your prayers, God ain't going to answer it. I just told you right there, James 4, 3. Right? Consider asking God to bring you into a better relationship with him. He would love to answer that prayer. Or to have a more powerful prayer life. He would love to answer that prayer. Or to have a deeper worship experience. He would love to answer that prayer. Or just pray, and I do this in the morning, God, teach me something new. He would love to answer that prayer. Get your desires in check. Get sin out of your life and start thinking what is possible in this world because whatever you've dreamed of, he's got something bigger in store. You just need to ask for it. Now, mind-blowing. I can end here unless you'd like me to show you the mind-blowing idea that I just discovered. Would you like me to show you? Okay. In the Old Testament, there's all these references to Jesus Christ. We've preached it many, many times. The Jewish people even believe in the Messiah. They just don't believe that guy was it. So it's all throughout the Old Testament. There's no debating it. There's one psalm specifically that was written as a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. I've read it a bunch of times. I've never slowed down enough, like Chris says, and read the margins. This is a prayer between God the Father. There's a conversation between God the Father and God the Son in the Old Testament. It's in Psalms chapter 2. Read it. It's one psalm between two divine creatures. And in this psalm, the father talks to the son and the son talks to the father. And guess what's in there? How about I show you? Psalm 2, verse 8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heaven for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. If I asked you today, does Jesus Christ have the heavens for his inheritance? You would say yes. If I would tell you, does he have the earth for his possession? You would say yes. If I would say you why, you say, because God gave it to him. But do you know how he got it? Because God told Jesus to ask for it. In other words, if Jesus Christ has to ask for something from God the Father, then so do you and me. And why do we cut ourselves I hope the weight of this scripture is falling on you like it did me. We have a prayer chain. I see Miss Debbie, she spends it all the time. There's all sorts of requests on there. There are lots of ways to get your requests known, whether it's prayer chain or asking God yourself or talking to your family or that person you're going to invite to church, say, hey, can you come to church with me? Here's what's going on in my life. Maybe they'll just come out of pity, but who knows they'll come. In closing, my wife and I had this image we wanted to share with you. 
Your children, especially when they're young, they ask for all sorts of things. They want lollipop, a finger lollipop, and they want sugar in a bag, and I don't know, they want a new pair of shoes. Can I have a new pair of shoes? Can I have a new, you have six pair of shoes. You don't need to, I want a new pair of shoes, I want a new pair of shoes, I want a new pair of shoes. They keep asking you for this new pair of shoes to wear you down, and does it work? Most of the time. But, but does it annoy you? Does it drive you crazy? Yes, yes it does. The same thing with God the Father. Those are not the type of requests that he wants from you. They're not the ones he wants to grant for your pleasure. You see, if your same child comes to you and they spend time with you and they start asking for different things from you, Dad, will you spend time with me? Dad, will you read a book to me? And they keep nagging about you. That doesn't annoy you. That doesn't frustrate you. Dad, will you give me advice? The Bible is clear. Just Keep asking. You'd be tired too if your kids keep asking for junk, but you're never tired if they ask you for something meaningful, to read to them, to pray for them. If your kids are asking you to show them how to do something, you can't wait to do that. If you ask God to show you something in your life, if you ask God to bless you in your life, to expand your territory, God intends to do it. Asking God, to show us something. Maybe everything in your life is fine. You don't need to pray for your kids or your grandkids or your spouse. How about asking God who to pray for next? How about asking God who should you take under your wing next? Who should you mentor? Think of the possibilities Ask God who you should befriend next. Ask God to take those awful, awful experiences you just went through and you'd rather forget and never think of again. Ask him to use those to help someone else. Church, we are all living lives that are a shadow of who God wants us to be. And the first step to get out of the darkness is just to ask. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.